from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Cyber is the new intel. That's what Colonel Yachtarian of the Estonian Air Force says. And that is not necessarily a good thing. I refer to the past era when nations were really reluctant to share intelligence amongst each other. Uh, even the friendly, very close allies, they, they were reluctant to share intelligence. Uh, it has turned to the better in the intel world. However, in the cyber world, still nations uh, are, are not sharing enough sensitive data in order to help each other. And while the nation states are trying to figure out how to work with each other, there's still the issue of working within itself. Each nation has its own issues. According to Colonel Andrew Hall, director of the Army Cyber Institute at West Point, the pace of change is a gigantic problem. We, we work with senior leaders, uh, we work with cadets, but as everybody's constantly changing the leadership and you have new people coming into the jobs, it's a continual fight to bring up the, the base knowledge. We'll hear what the problems are and hear what the solutions are as well as the time frame for getting it done. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Have you ever noticed how quickly after terrorist attacks, officials from countries around the world who've been hit will acknowledge they've been attacked by terrorists? Have you also ever noticed that when major cyber attacks take place, few, if any, leaders of nation states or companies or organizations within will publicly acknowledge they've been hacked. That according to Colonel Yachtarian, director of the NATO Cooperative Cyber Defense Center of Excellence based in Tallinn, Estonia, is a problem. He says there are two issues. One, embarrassment over getting hacked. And two, nation states don't trust each other. Colonel Tarion, who's the former head of the Estonian Air Force, was a speaker at the SICON U.S. conference held just outside of Washington this past November. And he made it clear, living in the times that we're living in, this behavior has to change. The way he put it was something like this. Cyber is the new intelligence. We sat down with him after his speech to talk about what that means. I did say in my uh, speech that cyber is the new intelligence. Well, to understand that, you need to understand a little about the military jargon. Um, I referred to the past era when nations were really reluctant to share intelligence amongst each other. Uh, even the friendly, very close allies, they, they were reluctant to share intelligence. Uh, it has turned to the better in the intel world. 
However, in a cyber world, still nations uh, are, are not sharing enough sensitive data in order to help each other to uh, prevent future breaches. What's the solution to that? How do you fix that? What do you think about how that can be remedied? Uh, well, if there was an easy solution, it'd be already done and we wouldn't be talking about it, right? So uh, building trust takes time. Um, we need to look into how, we, how it's been done in the Intel world, step-by-step, uh, step, uh, slow, slow uh, gradual trust building. Uh, we need to go the same way in cyber. It's, uh, there, there seems to be a sense of embarrassment in the nations when you know, their defenses get breached by an adversary. Uh, and they get hacked, in a simple words. Uh, I, I drew a comparison in my speech uh, yesterday that uh, nations are not embarrassed when, uh, you know, um, uh, let's say a terrorist or call him a wacko gets into a big truck and drives into a crowd, uh, kills people. Uh, he also passed all our intelligence, all our defenses, uh, committed a horrible act of terrorism in, in you know, one of our nations. We don't, we don't hide that. We're not embarrassed that. Uh, we, we make it, it's always public. But when the same thing, similar thing is done in cyber, when advanced uh, persistent threat, like we call it in, in uh, cyber world, a foreign nation in a well-financed and trained unit creates a code that breaches our cyber defenses and gets into our sensitive uh, networks, then we, we somehow are embarrassed about it. I, I think we should be more open about it. During the course of some time that I spent in Estonia over the summer, I learned from some of your colleagues at the Ministry of Defense, like Tunnel Sepp, um, uh, Ambassador Tirma Klar, about some of the work that's being done to refine cyber capabilities in Estonia. From the military point of view, how would you assess where you are right now? I need to emphasize that uh, my job is not in the Estonian Cyber Command. I, uh, I work for the uh, NATO Center of Excellence based in Tallinn, Estonia, actually in the same building as Estonian Cyber Command. So I'm, I'm not in a full position to comment on uh, okay. Estonian advancements. However, Estonia, as it is public knowledge, is one of the Cyber Nine. It's one of the NATO nations that has declared its cyber effects or, in simple words, cyber offensive capabilities available for uh, allied operations if called upon. I know this may be difficult and it may not be something you can do, but what are those capabilities? Can you broadly dis define them? Here we get into the classified world. So uh, cyber weapon tends to be a one-time use weapon. Uh, so even if you say the area where you can cause impact, it might give a hint to the adversary to review his defenses in that area. So this, this is not uh, for public disclosure. Mm -hmm. Colonel Tarion's decision not to talk about these weapons because of their classified nature reminded us that we had a conversation with Tanel Sepp. He's the director of cyber policy at the Estonian Ministry of Defense. And interestingly enough, he said pretty much the same thing that Colonel Tarion told us. Developing any specific tool takes time, takes resource. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, once you deploy a certain tool, it might be obsolete the next second. Sepp, like Colonel Tarion, was also unwilling to go into too much detail about their cyber weapons capabilities. 
but he did paint a very descriptive picture of how they might work, pointing out a cartoon written in a military publication. Now, imagine a military parade. You have a podium with officers and generals all saluting the troops. But instead of troops, you have laptops on tracks. That's right. He did say laptops on tracks. Tracks that you might see a tank on. That's the way he said we should visualize cyber weapons today. Until we know more about them and some time passes before this classified information may be released, that's about as close as we'll get to understanding what these cyber weapons look like. So to get a sense of how significant these weapons might be, we go back to our conversation with Colonel Tarion, and we asked him what the threat picture looks like. It's intense. Uh, I believe uh, the actors of, uh, from Russia, China, and perhaps some other nations uh, could be in our classified, unclassified networks right now. They, we were making the best efforts to keep them out of classified networks. Naturally, we try to defend unclassified networks as well but uh, it, it, gets, uh, it gets increasingly difficult. That's my estimation without knowing the, the current intel picture. What do you think is most important about the work that you're doing right now? Um, we focus on research, training, and exercise. To sum it up into one sentence, we try to make our member nations uh, better ready for uh, future battlefield, or even today's battlefield, where cyber is essential part. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you think is important that you would like to discuss today? Our center organizes the world's largest live fire cyber defense exercise, Locked Shields. It's an annual exercise, uh, and we have great industrial partners uh, from civilian sector like Siemens, Ericsson, others that bring their products, their sensitive products like Siemens Digital Power Grid, to be essentially hacked and defended in an exercise scenario. I've been trying to reach out to the defense industry to bring defense products like uh, uh, command control systems, uh, perhaps a flight controller of a drone or an aircraft, anything similar. Any, any weapon system these days has a cyber component in there. I would, I would like to see defense industry to come be part of, of Lock Shields Uh, to to make it a very realistic training environment for our top-level cyber defenders that take part from uh, 24 nations in uh, Lock Shield exercise. When is the next one? The exercise is held in April. Uh, The planning cycle has already started, uh, so I would like to invite defense industry this time to observe our planning cycle and the execution in order to be part of uh, Lock Shields 2021. And will this take place in Tallinn or other places? Uh, the Game Center will be in Tallinn, uh, but uh, 24 participating teams are logging on uh, from their home, uh, home stations, and usually nations field their top-level uh, cyber defense teams, either national search or military search. A couple more final things. How would you assess the threat of cyber around the world, not just for military, but for any government anywhere compared to other types of threats like terrorism or uh, like uh, any other kind of international or national threat? 
low to moderate level cyber threat is is always there. It's a daily thing. You know, we we tell everybody uh, make sure your password is complex, otherwise you you might get hacked. So uh, at the low level, the threat is is daily, hourly. Uh, compared to you know conventional kinetic terrorism, uh, it's uh, in most places of the world. Thankfully, it's it's quite low. Uh, the high impact cyber, uh, I um, I don't believe in a cyber Pearl Harbor or cyber apocalypse or something uh, in isolation. If there was a conventional kinetic conflict uh, where one of the major states would be part, naturally they would field all their cyber capabilities on their opponent as well, then the picture would change. Uh, otherwise, I, I don't see it uh, happening like a large-scale apocalyptic cyber attack in isolation. That's Estonian Air Force Colonel Jak Terian, director of the NATO Cooperative Cyber Defense Center of Excellence in Tallinn, Estonia. So we go from that conversation with him to Colonel Andrew Hall, head of the Army Cyber Institute, located at West Point. He was also at that SICON conference, and we asked him specifically about Russia, Russia's hybrid warfare program, and how the U.S.'s cyber program helps it to deal with the threat from Russia. I think that the, the key part of cyber is in the, the understanding that we have a continuum as opposed to a binary state of war, not war, as we go forward. We're looking at a continuum where you go from competition into conflict and then uh, an opportunity to return to competition. We know that we will be uh, competitors in the global economic world and we want to be in a in fair competition with our uh, our friends and then with uh, some that we uh, that we know are not necessarily our friends. And as we continue to work through those things, the cyber domain is one of the domains where we have uh, reach. The Navy has reach, and they'll put aircraft carriers around the world, and we know that they can uh, achieve global reach and put aircraft anywhere they need to in the world. Cyber gives us that reach from at home or f- from forward, but you, you really can reach out into any uh, place across the system. We've, we've uh, had demonstrations of, uh, of where you can actually have physical destruction through the Internet. So we know that depending on what level of warfare you want to be in, you could be doing the same sort of things as we did the, as the, when we were bombing Germany during the Second World War to destroy their production facilities. The same sort of, uh, of attacks could be done through uh, through cyber operations. One of the key things that the U.S. and most nations have faced in the past few years, but certainly for a long, over a long period of time, at least in a basic level, but in the last decade or so, uh, some significant growth in terrorist activities. Can cyber play a role in dealing with terrorism? Cyber definitely plays a role in, in dealing with terrorism. It is something where we have an opportunity to spread uh, our message as well as for the terrorists to, spend, to spread their message. It's a platform for terrorism to, terrorists to do recruiting. It's a, terror, it's a place for terrorists to do command and control. But it's also uh, a place where we can ensure that we can shine a, a true light for the world as we spread uh, information. The, 
it gives us uh, an attack surface um, quite possibly for the terrorists as um, the opportunities of using the internet are so great that they want to use it and therefore if they're using it we can find them so it's kind of one of those uh, double-edged swords where they can choose to use only couriers and have people taking bits of paper around the world or they can choose to use the internet and if they want to have the global reach well then we also have the global reach terrorist messaging one of the most effective platforms for their messaging is cyber do you have uh, the capabilities to stop them from using those platforms uh, for their messaging we have the capabilities to look at the opportunities to thwart their efforts and um, uh, one of the ways to thwart their efforts is to be able to uh, find where they are because of the devices that they're using and then you can use the kinetic means that we've become so accustomed to which is um, you know a combination of, of really the, the 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 drone strikes that we see in addition to the the targeting that can come out of um, uh, out of the out of the internet um, the other thing is that with some of our uh, psychological operations teams they can, can work to try to counter narrative so that they're trying to counter the terrorist narrative so that the um, to try to make the recruiter's job that much harder and so we, we have our own uh, recruiters that are trying to recruit for our way of life and um, we we all actively counter th their recruiting efforts and so mm -hmm. that that all takes place within this this domain of the internet how would you say, how important would you say the PSYOPs process in countering their recruiting is in fighting terrorism? I, I think that we have to use all of the tools that, that we have. And I, I think that it's becoming increasingly important that we've got this information domain. And the information domain largely rides within the cyber domain. But it, it, but it is greater. You will get TV, you have radio, so many other ways that information can be spread. And part of spreading the information domain to get it into the cognitive domain where you're getting people to think about it is getting the information from some media source into the coffee shops because you just need people to talk about it. Future, research, plans. What are your thoughts about that? Well, one of the ongoing partnerships that we have is one with the threat casting cell, the casting lab at Arizona State University. And so we're trying to look 10 years into the future and to identify future threats through using a structured method and bringing in a wide range of people with different ideas to go through a process to think about the future and then backcast what would happen uh, along the way before we would ever get to that and look at gates or flags, areas where we could choose to take a different path or things that we could try to pre prevent. And so we have this threat casting methodology that we can use to try to identify where we can go and help us create the right kind of a future uh, for America. And that's one of our, uh, one of our key uh, efforts that we've been doing. We're, we're trying to find uh, a way as as we think about the future of how information operations and uh, information that is, is put out there that could be considered weaponized or weaponized narrative, how, how do we really take advantage of uh, still maintaining the things that we'd 
love most about freedom and yet yet keeping uh, our, our people safe. And that's going to be the biggest challenge, I think, going forward is, is how we balance out the, the freedoms that we know and love with the, um, with the, the attacks that are going on against uh, targeted parts of our, our society. What have you learned so far about that? Well, one of the things that, that we've learned is that the, the Internet has provided the communication for, I guess, wackos is the best uh, word. Whereas if you used to be a, a crazy person or if you it, – it's any of the long tail. You've got the long tail of things that people might like. If you were trading in Beatles memorabilia, you can find people online that want to talk to you about Beatles memorabilia. And the, the same thing with we have these um, – some of these shooters that are getting radicalized on the internet where they can find other people that have, that share their same views. And you only need several people on the internet to all of a sudden have their new club. And so we, we know that we are so much, uh, we, we need to have kind of like a, a radical inclusion in school. And, and it's not okay to just let people be complete loners because they're not being complete loners. They're finding friends somewhere else. And we have to find a way to, to, to bring uh, the, all the members of our society into our society and find ways where, where they have inclusion, where they fit. and um, it's, a, it's a real challenge. Well, it's very interesting. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you'd like to talk about? I, um, I've been very grateful to get the chance to, to lead the Army Cyber Institute for the last almost four years. And it, it's a unique organization because we work in this innovation space as opposed to the standard way that most of the army is used to working where you have a task and that task is where you're supposed to do some sort of a of a mission but we've also in our cyber community we've got the army cyber team that has these tasks and creates the teams then we've also got the group down at fort gordon who is the cyber center of excellence that's working on all of the TRADOC type work that's developing new strategies and personnel plans. And so they, they have their whole piece. And in many regards, the Army Cyber Institute is unique because we're a third area to drive innovation. And in this space, we, we have to keep things moving at a, at a faster rate. The the change in this space and what we're trying to do with regard to cyber, you could quickly be teaching yesterday's technology. And so one of the things that we're trying to do with uh, having an innovation agent up at West Point is to ensure that we're thinking out 10 years so we can try to aim our resources in, in where we should be going as opposed to the current resource requirements-based uh, resourcing model that they have right now. Colonel Andrew Hall, head of the Army Cyber Institute. That organization was established with the mandate to conduct high-quality research on the Army's most critical cyber-related challenges to perform outreach to bridge gaps and to promote information exchange across Army, military, academic, industry, and government cyber communities. So in the process of doing that, it's a teaching institution as well. So we spoke with Colonel Hall about how that teaching process works, what their goals are, and what the expectations are of its graduates. We have three main objectives that we are are working on. One is to advance the body of knowledge. Second is to create impactful partnerships. And the third is 
to do the leader development for the the pre-commissioning officers, both in office, both in West Point and ROTC, and to bring cyber training and cyber education into their preparation. Would you give me a little bit of extended background on each one of those? Sure. The uh, for us to expand the body of knowledge, we were originally stood up because General Odierno as the Chief of Staff of the Army, was concerned that we didn't have a schoolhouse or somewhere that he could point to to say, who's doing my thinking about cyber? At the time, we didn't have a branch, and we didn't have a home to just point to for him to call and ask his questions. And so the Army Cyber Institute was set up to expand what we know or what the Army would understand or what we would need to make decisions about. And that's what we are really continuing to expand the body of knowledge. We're working in areas in cognitive science with cognitive researchers trying to figure out how we can have more explainable AI. We're working in areas of post-quantum cryptography, trying to figure out how we can come up with new algorithms. But each one of these areas expands our, our body of knowledge. And we have a team that teaches in eight of our 13 departments of the academy. So we teach in cyber ethics. And the class that we've created in cyber ethics in the philosophy department is part of that expanding the body of knowledge. The cyber law class that we taught for and that we teach for our law majors and for those that want to take the interdisciplinary cyber minor and take law classes those kinds of classes are expanding the body of knowledge and codifying what we know uh, as a group. So if I go to the, the second one for impactful partnerships, if you think of going back to the Second World War, we really had a mobilization of the country really run by the country, and everybody got on board, and we, the government was really able to run the, the effort. They were in charge of solving the problems of the Second World War and everything from the things that they were doing at Bletchley Park with code breaking and the other things we did with the development of operations research, it was bringing scientists to the military or scientists to the government to solve our problems. We now believe that we have to make the partnerships between government and the military with the private sector, with our scientists, with our entrepreneurs, rather than bringing them into our um, our ecosystem, our team. We, we no longer have a place where we can just hire all of them to work for us, everyone that, that we should be using. So we try to make, uh, make pa partnerships so that we can work with them to advance society together. What are your biggest challenges right now? Our, our biggest challenge is to uh, continue the understanding and the transmission of what we are trying to do with regard to fighting in cyberspace and in the information domain across our entire depth of our army. We, we work with senior leaders, uh, we work with cadets, but as everybody's constantly changing the leadership and you have new people coming into the jobs, it's a continual fight to bring up the, the base knowledge. And we're really working to try to work through the the professional military education that we have at the checkpoints to try to get it uh, where we're catching each uh, officer and each soldier and uh, each non-commissioned officer so they can be trained and, and educated into what these multi-domain battle concepts will be at these, these professional military education checkpoints. 
when you're done with the, the Army Cyber Institute or when you've matriculated all the way through the course offerings that you have for people, what is it that you expect them to know and to master? We expect that, the, that our officers will understand and start to develop the um, importance of fighting across the, all the domains. And it's not so much that we want them to have mastered, but we, we need to get them the tools and the ways of thinking so that they can bring it into their own domains. Mm-hmm. We need them to completely rethink what warfighting will mean in the future based on how we can use information technology, how we can use information operations, how we can use the, the tools of the cyber domain to ensure that we remain uh, a dominant uh, force so that we can keep our American way of life. That was Colonel Andrew Hall. He's the Army Cyber Institute's director. He's also a professor there. And he gave us some very good insight on the work they're doing, the challenges the U.S. military faces in the cyber realm, and also a good understanding of how they educate people to fight tomorrow's cyber battles. Speaking of battles, coming up in our next episode, the NATO summit. I heard that uh, President Macron said NATO is brain dead. I think that's very insulting to a lot of different forces, including a man that does a very good job at running NATO. No, it it has a great purpose, especially with the fact that NATO is becoming much more flexible in terms of what it looks at. But I was very surprised. You just can't go around making statements like that about NATO. The recent summit in London was one of the most divisive and negative that many can remember in the history of the organization. So will it survive? And if so, what shape will it be in? And how secure will the world be? That's coming up in our next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have questions or comments about the show, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green. One word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more information about national security and international security events, sign up for our newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Attention, true crime lovers. If you haven't checked it out yet, be sure to catch up with the Hit Reels channel podcast, Murder Made Me Famous. Join crime reporter Steve Helling and those involved in the cases as they examine the most infamous crimes imaginable, and they unravel the twisted personalities that were thrust into the spotlight, including the Green River Killer, Jeffrey Dahmer, and Jack the Ripper. Download new episodes of Murder Made Me Famous every week on Apple Podcast and Podcast One. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.